On this week's Big Tech Show, you might not think it could happen to you, but our guest this week explains how a significant number of Irish people may be falling victim to romance frauds online. Victims can feel a misplaced sense of shame. People can blame themselves. They feel embarrassed. And so they don't want to tell family, friends. They don't want to report it to the police. In some cases, of course, the victims are already in relationships. They're married. They have an extra reason to keep that quiet. The Big Tech Show, available on all podcast platforms. Platforms. Yeah, having my head shoved into the uh, steps of the Ulster Bank in Ranla, called butt of a gun put into the back of your skull, that's a moment where you go, okay, yeah, I think this one's up. How does a high-flying academic become one of Ireland's most prolific bank robbers? What I would see is the most important part of this still lies open. I'm Not Here to Hurt You, a brand new series from the award-winning team behind the Indo Daily. That November day, that's where it all, all begins. Out now, wherever you get your podcasts. And now on the throw-in, we're joined by Joe Brawley, who penned an article on Monday, the headline for which was Dublin's total annihilation of One Dimension Throne is a victory for the future of football. And Joe, it's hard to disagree with that. What do you actually mean? Well, I mean that, I mean, Ulster football... Um, take Tyrone as an example where club football used to be vibrant and Tyrone were a fantastic team to watch. I mean, their team of the noughties. Was there ever a better All-Ireland final performance than 2005, for example? Um, and you watch the Tyrone teams now under 21 minors, etc. And see the minors this year in Celtic Park. Laborious, dull, no imagination. I mean, they had Dara Canavan playing for them. In my day, if you had Dara Canavan playing as corner forward, you'd have been hitting them all the time. You know, you'd been moving the ball to him quickly. Boys would be playing with their heads up. They, they, they would see that he was running right. That day against the Jerry Miners, he, he scored three points in the first half from three touches. And in the second half, they gave him his first pass in the 29th minute. And he laboured up there just in the same way as five foot six Mark Bradley did against Dublin on Sunday. And the reason that Tron were able to succeed in Ulster is because all of the teams were playing that game plan. Um, I mean, I was talking to Conor Laverty from Down about this, you know, the current Down player this morning. I was saying that whenever we played, and I can remember that the Down, Down's motto, the great Down team in the 90s, was that your first line of defence is your full forward line. And their full forward line tackled with absolute ferocity, their man. You know, so it was really, really difficult to get out against them. You know, and we were at the pin of our colours all the time. And we did exactly the same against our opponents. There was no question of drifting off and letting boys sort of, you know, come solar on and up the field at will, hand passing the ball to each other. And I mean, that's why I think it was such a shock to Tyrone, because Dublin simply don't play the way that other teams play. And how big was Cole Park a factor, Joe? And that's and that's become an increasing advantage for Dublin because if you think of it, whereas teams like Tyrone, from development squad upwards, are learning to to follow very, very strict rules about their positioning on the field mm. and about their role. Very, extremely precise. So the Tyrone play with one forward. They've done this for two years. Everyone else is behind the halfway line. They're, they set up at exactly the same lines all the time. They go to exactly the same spot. You can see them communicating with each other mm. to get into that spot. And, um, and so... You know, I, I, it was a bit like Dublin Dublin might as well have been playing against traffic cones on Sunday, you know. And 
And and this is a massive problem because apart from anything else, it's totally unenjoyable for the players. They don't learn the game. So you think of the dubs, right? Jim Gavin comes in and, and he says, OK, look, we're going to play football. We're going to promote skill. We're going to play football. We're going to be students of the game and learn how to play the game. So no matter what way anybody else is playing the game, we're able to play it. We'll take them whatever way they want to play it. And so you see that what he has developed is a thinking team. Now, no doubt they're great athletes. No doubt he has a number of really fine footballers. In fact, it's difficult to find weakness in their individuals. But in the old days, you know, that wasn't a bar to other teams competing seriously against them. The massive advantage that the Dubs have now against a blanket defence team is that basically they're sitting ducks because the Dubs... What, what, are the, what are the two big advantages of the blanket defence? I mean, the first advantage is teams think that it's going to be very difficult to penetrate. Okay. So we know now that if a team floods up on the blanket defence and moves cleverly, so the way, for example, the dubs do, then they can break that blanket defence open. But this is where the real problem is. The other major advantage of the blanket defence is that normally against teams you're also playing in blanket defence, which all the teams in the north are, you can run the ball out with the free men. You have plenty of free men to run the ball out with. But against the dubs, that doesn't happen because they are man-to-man on you. They tackle you ferociously, they hem you in. And you saw that what actually happened with Tyrone having 13 men behind the halfway line was that they couldn't get beyond the halfway line. They were being tackled ferociously the whole way up the field. They were being continuously turned over. And a classic example was the first goal. Where mm. they, just, they had no target man. They had a five-foot-six guy standing inside being shepherded by two excellent defenders. I mean, and what chance did he have? So an entirely futile plan against the Dubs. And I turned to Brian McGuigan after Dublin got the goal to go three points up and said, game's over, Brian. And he said, I think you're right. And you wrote that in the article as well. Is this a victory, though, for mm. football kind of, of course being it's able a, course to... It's a but is football able to... Football face series question marks into... It had to look into its soul a few years ago. Are we able to get around this without some rule changes that you quite reasonably advocated? Yeah, but this well, was almost well, a victory for football, wasn't it, in terms of football reinventing well, itself massive. for the better? massive. Of course it is. Of course it is. Because the Dubs want to play football. And you see there... And you'll see people saying, oh, well, look, sure, the Dubs had everybody behind the ball at times. The dubs, the dubs are everybody behind the ball. I'll tell you a couple of things about them. There's a sort of an, an opt- optical illusion of a blanket defence with the dubs at times because they're simply using their initiative the way we used to do when we played football. So, for example, you watch Tyrone. If, if Cahill McCarran's man takes him out and sits on top of the Hogan stand, Cahill will go and sit on top of the Hogan stand beside him. Yeah. All right? You'll watch Johnny Cooper or, 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 or Fitzsimmons or any of those guys. Their man strays outside the, the danger zone. They're immediately collapsing in on the dangerous area to pick up the danger man and surround him. Anyone in possession in there gets swallowed up in the swarm because they play with their initiative. I'll give you another good example of this. Rewind to the great Tyrone team of the noughties. Let's look at 2003. Right? Tyrone had no blanket defence. They never had a systematic blanket defence. They never had a rigid rule. They played 15 on 15, but they worked unbelievably hard and they hounded and swarmed and harried. You know. And you'll see them like a pack of wolves. No matter what area of the field was it in, should the carried cornerback get the ball? If Tyrone, if Tyrone thought they could get three men to them, they'd be sprinting to him to, to try and turn him over. In the midfield area, exactly the same. The defence, exactly the same. They just tackled with ferocity, which is precisely what the current Dublin team does. And in a way, 
the Dublin team are having stuck to their principles are building a wider and wider gap all the time. Because if you think of it, there's the Toronto boys, right? As soon as they go three, four points behind, because this is their system and they've been rehearsing this meticulously for two, three years now, they've they've got no alternative there's but no to way stick out. to that. Yeah, so like there's seven points behind in the 42nd minute. 42nd, well, say it started in the 40th minute. There's seven points behind. Dublin have possession. Tyrone have 13 men behind the halfway line. And Dublin say, yeah, fair enough. Come and get it. Come and get the ball. We're seven up. Why should we? Why should we play into your hands? You know? And people saying, oh, well, the dubs were, you know, they were holding possession. Well, they're quite entitled to. What is it? This isn't kamikaze. And so eventually they hold the ball for two minutes, 18 seconds before releasing James McCarthy for a point. Tyrone wasted two minutes, 18 seconds, not pushing up, letting Dublin hold possession, dawdling about, strolling, strolling. Kieran Kilkenny was standing at times when he was given the one-two. Nobody near him. As I say, Dublin versus traffic cones. And it was a tactical mismatch, wasn't it? Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's not, you know, it's more that it's more strategic in the sense that Tyrone's strategy is to play in that way, and it's a set robotic strategy. There can't be any plan B because they've never worked on anything other than that. But they played a That's system, Joe, they... that practically prescribed them from actually getting a goal, which meant they couldn't win the game really anyway. Oh well, they were never going to score a goal against Dublin's. I mean, because think of the way Dublin play. Dublin don't rob Peter to play Paul, pay Paul. All they do is what the Armad team of the Naughties used to do, which was that whenever they were whenever they were being attacked, Kieran McGinney dropped back between the, the number six and number three position, just the way Keanu Sullivan does. Mm-hmm. And then Tony McEntee generally, or John, dropped back into the space where, where that Kieran had vacated. You know, so, I mean, all that, that's just smart football. That's just making sure that space is filled and there's no one running freely through the centre. So, I mean, Dublin, without having to, to rob anybody, because, of course, Dublin could have picked any of their players to sweep, to just sit in position, because Tyrone were deserting their positions and get up. And, and so it also meant that, um, I mean, if you look at the way Dublin play with their balance, I mean, and I said this last the week before in the podcast, that Tyrone's big problem was going to be, how are they going to work the ball out against... Dublin, because Dublin will flood them man-to-man and hurry them the whole way out, and then Dublin leave two players in the middle third to pick up any stray runners. So, I mean, they were doomed. That was it. Where is Where do you go from here with Mickey Hart? Well, you see, I have always... I mean, like this thing about Mickey being a tactical genius. I mean, really, really, whenever tactics became extremely important, right? So, obviously, through the 2000s and up on all the time of Jimmy McGuinness's arrival... You know, tactics were few and far between. Okay, you know, teams were could be well organised into good positions, have a very good chemistry. You know, there would be certain very broad tactical ideas, right? But the idea of you know the orchestration of a team, you know, only came out came about with Jimmy McGuinness, and so he transformed the whole landscape, and that was an ambush, and it you know, and we know what he did then. But let's look at Mickey's tactical acumen, okay? So Jimmy McGuinness comes along, right? And Mickey's got a veteran team, you know, a lot of good players, you know, serious team. And Mickey we- or Jimmy wipes the floor with him, with a novice team who'd been beaten the year before by 
beaten out the gate by Cork and Armand qualifier games and championship, you know what I mean? It was just humiliating, that Donegal group. So Jimmy transformed him very quickly um, with his tactical sort of and strategic acumen. And then three years, during throughout Jimmy's tenure, tenure, he wipes the floor with Mickey, right? And Mickey doesn't show any capability of knowing how to deal with this. And what he actually does is he copies it, but it's an inferior copy because he doesn't quite know how it works. And ever since... Jimmy came along. Tyrone haven't beaten a serious team. Their average score in championship matches against Jimmy's Donegal, Mayo, Dublin and Kerry has been 11 points. Mm. 11 points. So you tell me how they have advanced, yeah. right? Other than to beat an abysmal, you know, an abysmal series of teams in Ulster. It's the worst dairy team in living memory who have decided to abdicate all responsibility for playing the game, abdicate all notions of imagination, enjoyment. I mean, and I go and I watch them. Everybody labouring back behind the 45, this hand-pass solo, hand-pass solo, move it around the periphery, not realising how ridiculous it is. Is this a sea change, though, so, for Ulster football, Joe? Because, I mean, there must be a lot of soul-searching well, after Sunday in general. Like it was, it was the tr- if truth be told, it was brilliant. I was delighted to see it. Because I'm preaching this all the time, you know, We've got to play football. We've got to play football. You know, and I mean, I'm an underage liaison at the club, so I mean, we know how important it is to play football because the boys don't want to play that muck. And it is muck. And and I guess we should go but to... Slowly but surely... It's, it's the, the game. Yeah. The, game, the game is a spectacle. So, I mean, it was brilliant. It was brilliant to see it. And for, you know, for everybody to say, look, look at the skills of the dubs. Look at... You know, and, and also young people now looking at them as if it's something really weird. Like, oh my God, they are extraordinary. They're out of this world. Every team used to do that. Their point Every taken was extraordinary though, wasn't it? Yeah, but that's because they work on it. Mm. And, and and their focus, their focus on training rather than working out where you're going to stand in the blanket defence and how you're going to double up, etc. Their focus is playing football. Should Hart be man enough to you say, know, you know, I've done my job here? You'll see, it's, you'll it's see as soon, like, for example, as soon as the Tyrone cornerback gets the ball in the blanket defence, he's not thinking, I'm going to set an attack in motion now. He just gives it to the keeper. Keeper gives it to someone else. And, and if, great, if you drop off them and let them run out, great. Should Mickey Hart be man enough to... Should Mickey Hart be man enough to kind of just say that maybe I, I failed in the last few years in terms of advancing this team and let well, somebody the, else do the, the job. The, 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 Mickey would never do there. that. Right. Mickey would never do that. Like Mickey's got a God complex. Like In Tyrone, it's virtually a criminal offence to criticise Mickey. I mean, it's no a bit like a dictatorship. Like No one in Tyrone would dare criticise Mickey. They just wouldn't dare. There's such psychological pressure on. you know. And then there's a certain rump in Tyrone who would, like, whenever I say something that's pretty obvious, I would have thought, you know, they would attack me. <laughs> but there's another larger rump in Tyrone who would privately say, oh, God, you're absolutely right. You know? So they've, they've got a big issue there. Like, it's a criminal offence in Tyrone to criticise Mickey. And, you know, you saw Brian McGuigan the other night in the Sunday game when he was extremely uncomfortable when he was asked whether Mickey should leave. His body language betrayed <laughs> us. Absolutely. But Brian's saying, you know, oh, I think Mickey's earned the right to stay as long as he wants to. You see what I mean? Mm. It's a massive problem. I mean, whenever Roisin Jordan came in as the chairperson and you know, challenged Mickey and there were challenges to Mickey about this ridiculous, which is absolutely ludicrous, this RTE embargo. The, the reason behind this RTE embargo, right, let's call a spade a spade, was that Mickey was extremely upset that he was lampooned in that sketch show over his efforts to try and make Brian Carthy 
the the replacement to Michal Omerahert. Yeah. All right? Because Mickey and Brian Carthy are very close. I mean, and that's all it was. They just lampooned him. That's fine. Mickey can, you know, say whatever he wants about it. There are sensitivities there. You know, also let's call a spade a spade. Like, it's a terrible, terrible, terrible situation what occurred. And, you know, it's absolutely terrible. But, you know, I'll tell you, every family's got situations like that. Every family's got a child dying from cystic fibrosis when they're 14 years of age, you know, or someone dying because they need an organ or someone dying, you know, or, or, or someone with alcoholism or a gambling addiction or terrible personal problems. You know, that's life. You know, life is a goddamn misery in many ways and we do our best to live in it, mm. you know. And, um, and uh, you know, but there's a sort of a cult-like thing uh, around him. And that's fine. That's just the way he is. I mean, he caused civil war in his club. When he was a young man, Peter Canavan had to go and register to play hurling for Kelly Clogher so that he could play for Jerome because of the schism that was caused. And, um, you know, if anybody thinks that Mickey's going to go quietly into the night, they have another thing coming. And before you go, uh, you it's know. been a goddamn misery I mean, for... Like you've got to, you yeah. let's, say, let's, say, let's, let's put the other side of it, though. I mean, you'd have to say that his earlier career through the noughties and earlier, you know, it spoke for itself. You know, an all Ireland minor title... Um, you know, a fantastic team in the noughties. And like, uh, uh, the reality is this, a team can't win all Ireland without the leader being right. And I've said this before, but there comes a time. You know, I mean, you, you, there's been a 10-11 year transition now from the 2008 winners. And Tyrone are a team, there's massive potential in Tyrone, massive skills. They need to change their philosophy in the game. Their development squads need to change their philosophy. Their under-17s played fantastic football against Roscommon. Looked great. You know, that's the way forward. Yeah. You know, not this yeah. not this muck that's being peddled. You know, they're caught in this sort of... Time warp almost. Yeah, you know, and I mean, you know, I don't know. Look, it's none of my business. doesn't matter to me, truthfully. I'm yeah. a dairy man. doesn't matter to me what's happening to them. Our problems are, are just as bad as Tyrone's. Yeah, you know, and so far as the counties, we're you know, and you look at our minor team, you think, why are our seniors playing like this? Why are we going out year after year putting fourteen men behind the forty-five? Whenever we're able to play fifteen on fifteen with the minors, go toe to toe with the Dubs and beat them by four points in the All Ireland semi-final, you know. So I think that the main thing that comes out of last Sunday was teams are saying now, mm, what is that point of this blanket? Fit? Yeah, and look, I, you got you This gotta, is the role model. You got a lord like Kerry and Mayo as well for consistently, almost uh, you know, game game to game, playing true to their own kind of spirit. And do Mayo realistically have a chance, Joe? I mean, if well, you I tell you what, Mayo Mayo play fantastic football. They do, they're, don't they're they? They're really really attractive in the eye. They're playing that sort of cross McGlenn style now. You know, excellent diagonal kick passing to the inside forwards who are staying in the scoring zone, so that they've therefore they've therefore got the option of. You know, they're not running to the sidelines and they're not sort of coming way out the field. They're not playing with one forward. They're playing with a full complement of forwards. You know, they're tackling hard. They're working hard back. You know, and whenever they attack, they're looking up, trying to move the kick, you know, kick the, kick the ball quickly. You know, which is one of the debates at the moment then. Aidan O'Shea gets the ball, likes, prefers to solar run. Have they, have they looked much more fluid in the last couple of games? The answer you'd have to say is yes up front, you know which creates another dilemma for you. But the way they move the ball to a forward who's getting into the scoring area and who's moving, who then has two options. I can, I can go from my own score, commit the defenders, or I can lay it, off, lay it off to the perfectly timed run because the runners outfield their time and they run really well. And you yeah. saw that, the brilliant effect 
appreciate that Russ Common were hapless in the replay, but still you saw it, the brilliant effect from Russ Com- or from Mayo. And they're a very, very fine team. And, and you know, from the muck, from the, I mean, from a team that looked absolutely gone and out of imagination and wanting to be put out of their misery in the, in the championship to begin with, against Galway, against Derry, against Clare, against Cork, you know, all of a sudden it's just coming together for them again. And I mean, they're a serious force, and they'll really put it up to the dubs because they're, they, you know, the dubs. Whereas the dubs were just able to do as they wanted to against Tyrone, they're not going to be able to do that against Mayo. And what'll decide us? Because Mayo will kick, Mayo will kick ball long at midfield, knowing that they've got great fetchers there. They their half back line will attack. Dublin are going to have to chase them back. You know, they're not going. They're going to be in Dublin's faces. I think the issues there, of course, are with the dubs, as always. That this year. They're hitting peak form at the right time, so they've timed their training. Um, and secondly, there are whereas the dubs, apart from say Dean Rock, have got thirteen flat-out sprinters, you know, and they've got six or seven other guys to come on who are flat-out sprinters. Mayo do have four or five players who aren't sprinters, and like Dublin, find your weaknesses. So we had no say. Fine, fantastic player, can't run. Not not the way they can run. You know, yeah. um, Seamus O'Shea, exactly the same. Tom Parsons. Um, That's a very valid point as well. The runners uh, just wouldn't. There'd be a, definitely a negative there. Yeah, and also, if you look at, I mean, the Dubs cornerbacks, the Dubs will make mismatches in there. So it's going to be really, really difficult for Andy Moran to get on the ball the way they play because what happens is that the cornerbacks, the Dub cornerbacks, right, they play in front of you and they try and force you to go to the sideline where they'll beat you in the sprint or you have to do a lung bust and run to get to a ball that's kicked towards the sideline. And Andy wouldn't have paid because, because yeah, because if you because because don't forget that Keno Sullivan occupies the central area and he's watching all the time. So he's trying he's cutting off the pass inside. The 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 Dublin cornerback is forcing the the kicker to kick the ball to the outside. So it's very, very difficult to get into that scoring area because Keno Sullivan is so expert at what he does. And that's a big conundrum because Mayo are going to have to deal with that. Mm-hmm. Tyrone left it. They didn't deal with it at all. There are four key positions for Dublin that need to be dealt with. Cluxon, Keno Sullivan's the second. And then you've got, I mean, Kieran Kilkenny's absolutely critical. And then Fenton, because Fenton's the link man from defence to attack. And all of those are a big problem for Mayo. I'll How just, do you deal yeah. with I'll just How do you deal with Keno Sullivan? Sorry. But one last thing to you, Joe, actually, you, you, a couple of things that you advocated this year. One was this uh, notion of um, that the, the kickout would have to go beyond the 45 and the 45s, uh, that uh, area would just be um, contested by midfielders. But the, the actual yeah. kickouts have become a really, really intriguing part of the game, I think. And they've showed these goalkeepers to be extremely adept at oh. what they're doing. Yeah. Oh, no, no, absolutely. I mean, like Cluxon's first kickout was a thing of absolute beauty against Tyrone because they pushed up and he kicked it 60 metres over the top to Scully, mm. who was on the run towards the Tyrone goal. And then there was an easy point from Dean Rock. I mean, I think it's the most extraordinary kickout I've ever seen. And it, imagi- and it immediately forced Tyrone to back off the kickout. Kick out. They said, oh, back off. Yeah. And, then he, and then he kicked them short, kicked them whatever way he wanted to because Tyrone had drifted back and were no longer pressurising. Until maybe a brief period of very half-hearted pressure in the second yeah. half when the game was already over. But, but, I mean, my point is this: that if you have that situation, which we used to do, we always used to kick the ball into the middle of the field. I mean, you would never had a short kick out in my day. If you've got that situation where you have the four midfielders only between the forty-fives, and you have a linesman patrolling each forty-five to ensure nobody breaks the line until the midfielder touches it from the kick out, and then the game's on, then 
you destroy the blanket defence in one fell swoop, and you force you force a situation where you know teams have got to play and they're six on six, yeah. six on six, and you can vary from that. Obviously, you know you'll be able to drop men and you'll be able to do whatever you want within those confines, but you've got a game that's fluid and that's moving quickly, and when you're quickly getting to the attacking area, that's the big thing. Joe, well, thanks a million for your time, and uh, obviously we will speak to you again uh, before the final. And uh, yeah, best of luck 